0: Welcome to the EFTM F1 podcast with Trevor Long, Harry Tucker, and Connor McNally.
1: Thanks to KO Sports, all the F1 action live, all season long. That's right. Every session, every moment, every wheel on track, you get it on KO Sports. That's where we enjoy the Formula One. Trevor Long, Connor McNally, Harry Tucker. As Dixie said, uh, kick it off, boys. We are talking Mexico City Grand Prix. Connor McNally, uh full race highlight mini on KO. What are you going for here? I think it's going to be the mini at best. Harry Tuckham. Highlight. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the minimum amount of F1 is available after a race. Cause I haven't really <laughs> looked to be honest, but uh, I, if, if anything, I would fall fast forward to the last, I don't know, 18 laps. Uh, and we'll get to why that is um, shortly. But look, Mexico City Grand Prix is a, an unbelievable atmosphere. And I think, uh, I assume in Abu Dhabi, Stefano de Malicali is going to come on Sky Sports and talk about the number of record race attendances because every single yep. race had, you know, three and 400,000 people across the weekend. You know, Australia was a great example of that and there's been many since. And in part, that's because there is something different happening. You know, we have a different car up front. And in part, that's because... People have missed it for a couple of years, but there is something awesome about this track, Harry. I think in terms of the old baseball stadium and the concept of it, but it doesn't really deliver on the racing.
0: No, this was this was probably the I to say the most boring race of the year for me. Um, it was just a race where nothing happened. It, it, there was no there was a bit of strategy if you're in that throughout the race, but there was a few overtakes and track but even those overtakes were fairly just you know someone just got let pass by basically there was no real battles or or anything yeah. like that there was not not much up for for contention but yeah the the baseball stadium i love it like it's probably my favorite thing from any oh, it's track it's, yeah, yeah i think it's I think, awesome
1: i think it's so it you know a lot of tracks have a unique uh, aspect but because this unique aspect is centered around the fans seeing more because i i, I don't know about you guys but when when I see Formula One, I, I struggle sometimes to sit in one spot because you don't see a lot. You know, the opening first corner at Albert Park is is good because it's two turns if you're in a grandstand. But once it happens, it's gone. Mexico City corner when you're in that grandstand, it's slowest part of the track. That you know, mm. that it's like they're in front of you for ten seconds, no matter which car it is. I think that is what makes it appealing. It actually adds nothing to the track. There's never any action there really, but it's the fact that it closed down and it commences the next lap in that way. And and it must be such a, I actually wouldn't mind a, a back seat view. I wouldn't
2: mind being at the top of the stands looking down on that Connor. Oh, it's just an absolutely tremendous scene. When you look at it, like, like 70,000 people in that one area in itself. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, years ago, they used to drive around the outside of what is now that stadium section. That was the original layout of the Hermanos-Rodriguez circuit. But the fact that they've now built a baseball stadium within within that confine in between 1992 and since the, the race returned, and they've now made it into that carnival type of atmosphere, and they're in there for, like as you said, 10 seconds. It, it, I just think it's just a great way to bring... The racing closer to the fans. I think some of the other tracks could learn something from what Mexico do every year. I mean, they just go absolutely bonkers, particularly when Checo's right at the front of the field. He's he's really brought a lot of passion of Formula One to Mexico. You do but wonder they went whether way more nuts this year.
0: Be yeah. uh, you're right, Harry. That was intense, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, and you saw it on the helmet. I think it was a Gasly or Sonoda. I think one of their Gasly. them had the Gasly. He had the helmet cam, and that was the sickest view from the helmet cam I've seen all year going through there. It looked incredible. that Yeah, that would be – as Checo going through there towards the end of the race getting his podium, I, that would have been so cool for him, I think.
2: Yeah. And cool. I think also, we, we, with you know, even with the helmet and the, the earplugs and everything, I don't think you can you can ignore or block out all that crowd. It just pierces through like it's like a thunderclap, really. It's just incredible.
1: I actually want to want to see it as a baseball stadium. I'm not even sure it is still used actually. um But as a baseball nut, I I would love to see it that way. I've seen yes. photos of it, but I'm I'm not even sure they bother with that now because it's pretty much just a concert venue and the like. But look, the the thing about we we've opened by talking about the the circuit and its lack of passing because it was for Fennicum half the race. It was just you know, line of Stern with you know, not not horrible gaps to be honest. And I think that Harry is what got me a little bit was it wasn't like there was 10 seconds between cars. In some cases, there was one and a half and three, and there just wasn't progress being made because I think in nearly every occasion, the car with the better straight line speed was actually in front, and therefore the DRS effect was not enough, I think, Harry.
0: Yeah, and it's quite a it's quite a short track as well. I think it's the third shortest track of, of any of them on this year on the calendar, um, which, you know, that that results in straights being shorter as well. So the DRS advantage, not as great there. But in saying that, there was, while there were quite a few cars in that, I guess, sub one second range stuck behind there, like you're saying, that we, we somehow managed to have this race where there was a lot of two or three second gaps and they just, they didn't really go either way. Um, mm. And I think the tyre strategies as well, to that point, didn't really uh, add to it either. There was no clear second way to do something. We thought we might've worked out a different way with Red Bull, but they they ultimately just were able to hang on there and the pace of the car. but. Yeah, it it was just that, that weird gap of nothingness, I yeah. guess, until, I mean, until our mate Daniel towards the end.
1: Exactly. Mm. Yeah, well, and I think that I I wondered whether it was going to continue that way, but then I realised that we we did have some potential strategy here, Connor, and I think that is broadly what gave any action was strategy because – Obviously, you've, you've got to stop once. There was still talk of it being a two-stop race, even though every single commentator got that wrong. Because you know, pretty much everyone was saying two-stop race. Da, 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 da. I don't know how they got that wrong. Um, because Connor, it was really a, clearly a one-stop race, and it was simply a matter of what did you start on, what did you end on, and how did you stuff it up
2: in the middle. Exactly right, and I think Mercedes, I think they got they got the strategy completely wrong today. But th- it looked at one point that they were on the right track because it was interesting to see Max and Checo start on the softs and Lewis and George on the mediums. And Mm. for about the first 23 laps or so of the race, Verstappen and Hamilton were like within two seconds of one another, like for the the most part. And and it looked like Hamilton had the right, was on the right strategy because when Max pitted to go onto a set of mediums and then Lewis, I think he stayed out for about another six laps and then he went onto the set of hards. I think everyone thought this was going to be a real race on our hands. If it was going to be that close, it would have been a great finish. As it turned out, the call that Mercedes did to go onto the hards was definitely not the right call. They they really lost um, the, the tires, the hard max, the hard tires. I should say they just completely fell away within laps. And as soon as that happened, it was all over Red Rover for um, for Mercedes. But isn't it
1: interesting, Harry, that? Uh, Lewis, in his, I know you've been very busy in uh, work meetings, but uh, Lewis, in his uh, pen interview afterwards, said that there was no degradation on the mediums when they came in. So, in essence, um, Mercedes could have done the complete opposite of um, of Red Bull by start starting on the mediums and ending on the softs if they'd have just gone a whole lot longer on the mediums. So, while Toto and and Lewis and everyone say they got the strategy wrong. You know, the hards weren't up to it. I actually think it was just the time you pitted that was the problem. And I, I think that's the the strategy error was coming in too early and not going to the softs at the end, as we'll talk about. Daniel proved that there was there was speed there at the end. I, I find it fascinating that you, you kind of end up doing this, you know, we're going to stop. They obviously stop later, but it was only like seven, five to seven laps later that that Mercedes pitted, having started on mediums, after Red Bull that started on softs. That's that's illogical to me. You're on a tyre that should absolutely go 15, 20 laps longer.
0: And, yeah, that, it was weird because they they also, it seemed like they were very confident in what they knew as well because you heard on the radio calls when they were talking to Lewis about here is our target and actually we're going to extend that by six laps, I think they said.
2: Yep. That's um, right.
0: So, yeah, so they, they've obviously had some data there that was like, yes, this tyre is, is going further than we expected, but it must have been... You know, it could have gone significantly further than expected. That, and then, that's just so obvious now. And I, and I think they were, it seemed like they were counting on potentially Red Bull doing the two-stop. Yes. And the two-stop just never happened, which that really caught them out. But what I, the thing that I really don't understand, though, is from, I think, about lap 40-something, George Russell was going, let's go a second stop. I think it's going to be worth us, from where I am now, to do a second stop. And they kept saying no. Until eventually they got to the end and gave in, so he could try and attempt the fastest lap. But that would have been interesting to see what could have happened if he did do that second stop.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's something we'll we'll never really know. And what what's also interesting about that, Connor, is they didn't split the strategy. So oh. I, I, under, I understand you know uh, Checo and Max running the same way. Maybe they had some confidence, but they're also at the lead and they also don't need the points as much. So Mercedes, and we'll talk about at the end, is you know grappling to maybe even get Ferrari on points. So. Why wouldn't you split the strategy um, and start George on the softs, for example, and, and find a way like that? Because interestingly, if George was on the softs, potentially he would have stayed ahead of uh, Lewis out of that second turn just on grip, and potentially would have challenged Max in a, in a little way more. Not he might not have passed him, but it's just a matter of keeping the pressure on. So I actually think Ooh. that you know it was a it was a pretty and to be clear, Toto has said they 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 got the wrong strategy, they they misinterpreted the tires. In hindsight, it would have been better to do different things. But that's all well and good now. Um, how how on earth does that happen, When especially when you're, you're challenging, you want to battle? They were they were talking about throwing caution to the wind and throwing everything at this race, but they threw one strategy at both cars. So
2: it's very strange. It is exceptionally strange. And I thought George wanting to go out for as long as he could and then go on to the softs near the end of the race, um, I thought that was a very good idea from George to, to split that strategy, but it was basically vetoed by... By the team to stay on that same similar strategy than what Lewis had, and it just didn't work out for them. And as Toto, Toto said to Lewis on the team radio post race, they they got the strategies wrong. And sometimes it it's you know it's a big call to do that to admit that you did wrong. But uh, I think that was yeah they've they've obviously been in in a rebuilding phase this year, and this has probably been the best performance for Mercedes all season, despite the fact that the results didn't go their way. But they've now got second place. In their sights in the constructors championship, they 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 are within reach of getting Ferrari. And speaking of Ferrari, they had a terrible race. They it's a good just point. they weren't even it. in the coverage. Nah, they were nowhere near it. I mean, that's, Carlos that's got a nice amazing. little shout out,
0: yeah, from uh, from Crofty, which I thought was pretty hilarious. We're about halfway through the race, and at this point, when you, we're very much in keep trying to keep the eyes open territory, and Crofty <laughs> just drops in there. Oh, At least Carlos is racing. That, that's where we got to,
1: but and interestingly, Harry, did you notice that even Martin and Crofty admitted that this was a yeah. subpar race, which is very rare. We've talked about it before, yeah, in the, in the bubble world um, of, One of our favourite topics. This this was genuine. They 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 were very honest about that. They there was no way of sugarcoating it. I think that's why um, very difficult race to sugarcoat when it was processional. The passing, of the DRS didn't play to where it was, and. I think my problem is, and, I, and Connor, you're a TV guy, so you'll you'll have more to say on this. But if you're in the coverage like this, okay, now we we should all be thankful and hands to the Lord that this was a morning race for us, because if this was 1 a.m., I'm not sure we would have made it. Um, so if you look at that and you go, "How do you?" As you said, Harry, how to keep people's eyes open from a TV perspective, Connor? Don't you think that in these situations, it's it's the onus upon the director. To go, okay, let's go down the field. Let's spend two laps with Pierre on and off board with the with the helmet cam. Let's let's do some analysis. Like, I don't know. I just feel like the the difference between having a uh, you know, supercars, and it's a bad example because of the insular nature of it, but like like the commentators and the TV directors are working hand in hand. You can't, you know, you can't move off to another place with Formula One because the TV director isn't essentially listening to Crofty. They're they're creating a, a world feed. But that's I think what it lacks is deeper analysis through the field which is also what sponsors should be should be rewarded with.
2: I absolutely agree with that and I think sometimes you need to go through the the grid like you have to go through the entire field to give an idea to the fans of where their favorite driver might be or what the strategy might be playing out with certain drivers further down the field. We saw a little bit of that during during the broadcast where we had Fernando battling with Joe and Bottas and of course Ocon. And then, you know, the, the Alonso trainers, everyone loves to call it, you know, social media blows up every time Alonso's in front and the, the Alonso train is in effect. But, uh, if, if you were able to see other other races happening, like for example, Stroll and Schumacher and, um, and uh, Latifi, you know, you would like to see some of those end battles and try and get an idea of what strategies are playing out in that particular part of the race. But uh, it's difficult sometimes. And I think it's even more difficult for the likes of Crofty and Martin to try and give an idea of what is actually going on throughout the entire field in a droll race such as that, and I think that's why, not, why not, I
1: mentioned it, Connor, because it's important to note that as as much as we can we can be critical of their commentary, they are beholden to the pictures presented to them. I'm exactly sure Martin would say. be frustrated by by that at times because you want to talk about things that you're seeing, and you can have these people if you're at home. You can have on K, you can choose the the timing screen. You can have the app. There's there's ways you can see what's happening down the field without it being presented as pictures, but. I just think that's probably what the sport is lacking at that point. What's What's fascinating about this race was there was a point there where it was as if a bunch of people—Alonso, Bottas, and Daniel—it might might have been might have been one more—were holding off. They were going very long on those on those first tires, which just proved how far they could go competitively. And Harry, it was it was Alonso and Bottas that came in first, and then Daniel. But that was about where we got the most excitement because it turned out that holding off long. Uh, and going long and getting onto softs was was a wise strategy move, especially for Daniel. And sadly, uh, Alonso, um, you know, with a powertrain failure, um, couldn't see the fruits of it.
0: No, he he couldn't. But but Daniel definitely did. Um, you know, after a bit of a bit of a scrap there with Yuki Sonoda, who acted as somewhat of a sacrifice for him to find his racing form, I guess. <laughs> uh, mm. <laughs> lock, sort of catching each other in the corner there. Daniel eventually got the 10-second penalty. But with that, he was flying. That was easily like the best we've seen him race all season. Overtaking, just it was just like 10 laps of confidence. Even that
1: little send on Yuki, which he, he in, in his post-race interview, and it is fascinatingly different to actually spend some time watching those <laughs> rather than just download straight away. But yeah. in his post-race interview, he, he talked about how he still didn't feel fully at fault and they pretty much agreed with the commentators that five seconds might have been a better penalty not 10 man, um man. but the fact is on because we were on board for that right and it felt like he he knew he had grip and he felt like he was just going to send it and go for it and you know he went a corner early like he should have kept going but good on him like that's what we want to see we want us. we want to see cars push we want to see cars pushed off we want to see actual racing because if you think about it go back to just watching karting let alone you know supercars any sort of racing the best racing is where they're they're exchanging some form of material whether it's carbon fiber paint or rubber connor we want to see actual wheel-to-wheel uh,
2: wall-to-wall action absolutely and i think that was severely lacking in this race that we didn't get to see as much of that wheel-to-wheel banging kind of action. I mean, not literally banging, but, you know, just close enough where everyone's just, you know, side by side. And we we got to see that with Dan and Yuki. And unfortunately, in Yuki's case, he didn't get to finish the race and Dan got the 10-second penalty, which he managed to neutralise near the end. But we need that. We need that for that kind of racing. And and that's Harry's point is Dan
1: was, and the commentators noticed, that he was basically given a shot of adrenaline and, and found his form and pushed like crazy to build a more than 10 second gap over Esteban Ocon so that he finished on track in seventh and he finished on the timing sheets in seventh ahead of Lando in ninth by the way who was on the kind of poor strategy that Mercedes adopted so you know McLaren didn't hold him up to their credit um that clearly Daniel was faster and that's a good thing um so just running through it quickly uh Max Verstappen from Lewis Hamilton Sergio Perez George Russell, Carlos signs, Charles Leclerc in sixth, Daniel in seventh, Esteban Ocon in eighth with four points, Lindo Norris in ninth with two, Valtteri Bottas rounded out the ten, probably again because of strategy, um, and uh, and they were all lapped. They were lapped from seventh place backwards, which just shows how far um, Red Bull is ahead. And most importantly, and you mentioned this, Connor, Red Bull were a long way ahead of Ferrari,
2: 58 seconds on track. It's crazy, isn't it? It's You, you think... Where has it gone wrong for Ferrari this year? And there's a lot that's gone wrong. I mean, <laughs> it Where has gone right? Oh, they—they just, they just, as I said, were nowhere in the race. And I think it just basically sums up their whole season. That mm. from the Australian Grand Prix onwards, they are just—I don't know what's going on with their strategies or whatever in the, in the inner sanctum of Maranello. But they need a clean out at the end of the season. They really well, need well, a clean out to start again for 2020. The word in the paddock is
1: that Mattia Bonotto is is back at factory. He doesn't come to races because he's whipping them into shape. And potentially that means they're focusing 1,000% on next year's car. Now, we've seen that before where teams uh, cease development and just go racing and and then put their focus into the next year's car. So let's, I mean, for Ferrari fans, let's hold out hope that that's what's happening. They, they would know what the gaps are. Mercedes continue the development on track, and I think – what they did, from what I'm hearing, is is essentially they discovered what was working and what wasn't, and that's allowing them to refine next year's car, Harry, so that when we come out next year, Mercedes have taken the fruits of their on track racing into next year's car, whereas Ferrari is taking theory and you know just reassessing
0: where they're at. So I I, I have an extremely high level of confidence that uh, Mercedes's is, is strategy is probably a good one. I have much less confidence in Ferrari simply because. I like Connor said, or you said, Trevor, that when they came out the start of the season, their car was easily the quickest. They, they clearly have no issues, at, at the moment anyway, in the engineering department. And all the things that went wrong for them seemed to be some kind of strategy, bad decision, like driver error. Like it was not to do with the car. And so I don't know, you know, obviously there is some work that needs to go in the car because Red Bull has leapfrogged them there, but it still seems that the bigger issue for them is their, the team's you know track day performance and decision making um so if that's true about mateo that's yeah i find that very interesting
2: and i Would find it interesting sorry i was don't. gonna say I, was, I find it interesting as well the mindset of both carlos and and charles at the moment like charles was at the top of off top of his game at the beginning of the year and carlos was obviously struggling because he was wrong place at the wrong time and being in those incidents but now it's affecting car, uh, both drivers you know the the Mm-hmm. all these issues would be playing on their mind knowing what's next for us you know are we going to plan c plan k plan z am i going to crash it's just it would just play on your mind a little bit maybe not as much as say what dan's had to go through but it would have a, 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 sub, a substantial impact on you know your confidence particularly when you are you're trying to be better than the next team right now
1: that's actually really fascinating because i think that Actually, what Dan proved today that is that mindset matters. Um, it, it only took him to feel pace in the car, also have a bit of a you know a annoyance with a penalty, to seemingly find genuine pace. And the yeah. mindset thing and the other thing is a strange segue, but you know on the weekend in the supercars, there was this moment on Saturday where, uh, David Reynolds was was really close with Shane Van Gisbergen, but his wheel felt loose. Now you could physically see it on, on camera that there was a, a you know a movement in it, but there's no there's no effect on its steering. It would steer, but there was a wobble. And you know, as Crompo said, that that mental challenge of worrying about the wheel coming off really affected him. And I think that's what's really fascinating is I think that there is a real mindset challenge that we're not all understanding and especially as part of Daniel's thing. And I'll tell you now, Daniel's post-race sit down on the sky um, stage was very detailed. I I would recommend anyone... Uh, listening, go to KO and just watch the race and then skip all the way to the end. And and you can kind of go forward to the, to the post-race paddock stuff, which is fascinating. It's probably the most fascinating thing to watch at a race like this is just go to what everyone said. They grilled him for a long time. Danica asked him about the America and next year and things, but he said the last two years have been challenging. And basically what, what that admission was is that he just has not ever felt comfortable, not just in that car, but in that team. And I think that was really fascinating. So when you get some time, folks, go and have a watch of that um, because it was also quite whimsical with Toto and uh, George coming on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do it all thanks to Kato Sports. The uh, The next race is in, uh, in two weeks. We've got a week off and then the 12th of November to the 14th of November race weekend. Monday morning race for us, 5 a.m., before the following week in Abu Dhabi. a a midnight race uh, into Monday morning for us. Um, And all of that, every single uh, minute of it, that will be on KO Sports, as will be um, the 500 in Adelaide in a few weeks. And uh, of course, all the the cricket and uh, summer sport action you'd like. Before we talk about the championship, I actually want to draw your attention to something I was reading online on on Twitter. Uh, Boys, uh, ESPN tweeted this kind of uh, quote from Alonso saying, Max's titles are worth more than Hamilton's. I have a lot of respect for Lewis, but it's different when you win seven World Championships having only had to fight your teammate. Now, here's, here's where it gets great. Joseph Newgarten, uh IndyCar, um, tw- retweeted that saying, imagine having to race the entire field, like in IndyCar. Will Power, right? Um, <laughs> Will Power comes out and Aussie Will says, yeah, F1 is all about what car you're in. It must be frustrating for guys like Alonso being capable of fighting for wins and titles, but he's in the wrong car. It would drive me crazy. Full stop. The money's pretty good though, like solid battle, uh, Harry, between between America's big guys and uh, and the biggest uh, motorsport series in the world.
0: I didn't, yeah, I didn't see that those responses, but that is fantastic. i all the stuff that I saw, on it was just people talking about how salty Fernando is that he's just still not over two thousand and seven with Lewis, um, which is hilarious because it's true. It is true, yeah. yeah. The U.S. stuff is just as because
1: Fernando had to had to clarify, you know, he had to clarify by saying all titles are amazing, incomparable to each other. tired of the continuous oh. for headlines. Let Mate, you, you
0: gave the fucking quote. Yeah,
1: I saw. Like... See, I saw that before I saw the issue, and
0: that was what I saw really, first. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because that got that got the round, but Connor. I mean, in the end, the IndyCar guys are right. The racing there is a little bit more dramatic. It's a little bit more exciting. There are more manufacturers. There were some weirdos in the comments going, "Yeah, but it's still only you know, um, Andretti, Ganassi, Penske, and McLaren." But yeah, it's still that's
2: four teams competing. Okay, that's better than what a, in F1. And not only that, they're running a control chassis. the in terms of engine manufacturers, you've got about three or four different manufacturers there. You're running on the same tires, gearboxes, everything. But the competition is so so close in IndyCar. There's so many different winners. I think there was about three or four different winners. You know. Throughout the whole season, or maybe a little bit more, but the racing's great. It's actually very entertaining, and there's no—I can't recall in IndyCar there's been a double, like a, a two-time champion or a three-time back-to-back champion in ages. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it, it speaks volumes compared to Formula One. Not but that we're rubbishing Formula One, but, but that's let's
1: be clear. I'm—I've said that. I've seen that. I've—I've I've said it before, but I'm still watching F1 way more than I'm watching IndyCar, and I think that goes to the expectations of the sport, and also just the engineering excellence and all those different things. These guys are building cars from scratch. Um, There is something remarkable about that, and that's why Mm. things like the Drivers and um, Constructors World Championships are so well run out. I mean, it's as simple as that, right? But it's a debate that Mm. will rage, especially in America, um, for a a very long time to come. Connor, um, the standing should be interesting because with two races to go, let's talk constructors. I'm assuming there's, there's a small chance that uh, Mercedes could well pit Ferrari.
2: Very strong chance, I reckon. There's only 40 points the difference. So let's forget about Red Bull because they've already won that. They're on 696 points. But the spat of a second in that championship, 487 Ferrari, 447 Mercedes. Now, tonight, this morning, I should say, Mercedes got 31 points. for, the, And I think they also got fastest lap as well, courtesy of George. So... They every right for George to pit late in the race to go on the softs and try and get that fastest lap because that point now matters more than anything. Red Bull won't really care now because they've already wrapped it up. But the, for, for Ferrari to only get 18 points, in fact, the last three races they have scored less than 20 points. So they've had 18 points in Mexico, 15 in yeah, uh, the, so the U.S. and
1: Japan. Mercedes and Ferrari, this race was more than the... Tw- so if the if the difference is 40, they need an average of 20 in both the next two races. Correct. More than Ferrari, and they've been doing that. They basically just need to finish and finish in the top four each. We need both Mercedes drivers in the top four both races, or we need Ferrari... Blitzing it and making it a super tight competitive end of the year.
2: <laughs> or if Ferrari have a shocking Brazilian race, the tables can turn very quickly for Mercedes. So that's how interesting it's getting. It's also interesting for the battle for fourth. Alpine 153 points. McLaren, with that whole points, 146, only seven points between them. So a lot of things can change in that battle for fourth. Not that anyone really cares about fourth or fifth or whatever, but you know, that the money, man. Is- Money, exactly right. The same for Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin. Alfa Romeo, 53. Aston Martin, 49. So the battle for six there, only four points the difference. The battle for eight, <laughs> again, points and money. 36 for Haas, 35 for Alfa yeah. And Williams, well, they've already got a 10th place wrapped up. Eight points. Who cares? Wow. Alfa would be filthy
1: with ninth place in the championship. Yeah. yeah. That is a shocking result. And Alfa Romeo would be disappointed too because I think they started the year much better than what that is representing them. So it is, um, is going to be fascinating to wrap out the year. And I, you know what? I'm going I'm to go with a conspiracy and say that Dan, Dan's contract and maybe Lando's as well has, has an incentive uh, for every run up the ladder. So hopefully um, uh, McLaren beat Alpine and Dan gets extra cash in his pocket
2: just to stick it to them. But anyway, that,
1: that could just be speculation on my part.
2: Driver standings, Connor? Driver standings. Max Verstappen. We won't worry about that. Sergio Perez is now in second position Uh, in the Drivers' Championship. 280 points, five ahead of Charles Leclerc's 275. He basically needs to finish ahead of Charles in the remaining two races to wrap it up and give Red Bull their first ever 1-2 in the Drivers' Championship. George Russell, fourth place, 231 points. Lewis Hamilton now ahead of Carlos Sainz, 216 to 212. So Lewis, again, needs to finish ahead of Carlos to basically finish in the top five in the championship. Lando Norris, 111. Esteban Ocon 82. Fernando Alonso, 71. And Valtteri Bottas, finishes in 10th position on 47 points. You know those post-race
1: graphs that they do where it shows, the driver tracker shows you what lap they were on, and you can do that with the championship points, for example. So round one, these are the number of points, and what position you were in the championship. I'd love to see that because you would see Ferrari and Red Bull at the top, and you would see Ferrari decline so quickly through the year and Mercedes claw back. Um, And then you'd see things like Haas coming up, and it'd be a fascinating little chart to see the, the championship, as it's progressed through the year, obviously easy one for Red Bull, but I just think there's some other teams there that would look at that and go a lot of missed opportunities. So there mm-hmm. will be a lot of reflection on this season. And um, I, the weird thing is, just as much, I think it's exciting to think about what next year brings because everyone will have learnt uh, from everyone on track this year. So there will be a lot of new um, concepts brought to the brought to the table next year as soon as we hit practice. Um, Uh, with 2023 cars fascinating stuff boys not a not an amazing race but still a lot to unpack and a great one from daniel ricardo driver of the day because of his run through the pack on on soft tires despite a 10 second penalty he he maintained his position on track with a 10 second gap and that's uh that's to be commended and and it it is massively disappointing not to see him on the grid next year because he's literally 100 confirmed he'll not be not be on the grid next year and that he's looking at a couple of options uh to be in the paddock, in the sport, and uh, and back on on the grid in twenty twenty four, he even talked to Paul DeRestra about um, finding something to cut his teeth on next year, so he says race fit. So we might see him dabbling in some in some stuff, boys, which will be interesting nonetheless. Um, big race, uh, week off, and then uh, two more rounds to go, boys, until the year wraps up.
2: Yep, bring it on, I say. Uh, look, I, I hope the next two races are. Entertaining. Uh, like we saw Brazil last year, was a very good race. It was great for Lewis Hamilton because of the way he fought himself from the tail of the grid in the sprint race and into the uh into the top ten, and then starting from tenth, and he won the race. That was probably one of the best drives that I'd seen him do in his career, and that basically set the tone for the final few races of last year's championship. I mean, obviously, we're not going to get a a championship decided in the final few races, but hey, I, I just want to see an out and out race between some, particularly with Mercedes and Red Bull. It's good to see them battling again after what has been a, you know, a, a challenging year for Mercedes. Just some on-track
1: action. Brazil, like, like Brazil last year, that'll be, uh, be what we sign up for, I reckon.
0: It's one Absolutely. of my favourite tracks, so I hope so.
1: Get on the sim, uh, smash out some laps, and uh, get yourself ready for two weeks away, boys. Good to talk to you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks to KO Sports on the EFTM Formula 1 podcast. See you for Brazil, boys. See ya. See you there.